0: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast round 16 review. Coming at you from Southern FM in Brighton and we're recording this just as the round has finished. And uh, a bit of movement at the station in terms of the top 8. I guess the headline story would have to be out of the last game of the round, and uh, another stunning win for the resurgent Brisbane Lions, who, with that victory over GWS, have moved into fourth place on the ladder. In fact, equal on points now with third-placed Collingwood, who, if you remember, back in round five, I think it was, smashed them up at the Gabba. So they are having some sort of season uh, losses to a few of the top teams this week, has shaken things up a little bit. I can't say it was great footy, but we'll talk about all that. As I say, a very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. Good evening,
1: Rowan. How are you? I'm well. I'll talk a bit about Brisbane. I won't sing about them. I'll talk about them this week. Oh, what are you getting at there? (laughs) You know what I'm saying. (laughs) So, (laughs) just want to mention our wonderful sponsors. I'll sing about them from the highest parapet. Is that the the term? Okay. That is Andrew's Hamburgers. The most magnificent hamburger you will ever eat. Truly, if you like your burgers thus, 100% beef, grilled to perfection. They don't need to, after being in business for 60 or 70 years, decide that they weren't cooking them properly and start again. This mob have been cooking them well for 80 years. Just a slice of good quality Australian cheese, egg if you will, free range. Some bacon. Beautiful buns, perfectly prepared. You love their buns. Mm. Oh, the best buns in town. Forget your sort of French baguette. You know, you won't get better than this. For crispy fries, crispy on the outside, white and fluffy on the inside. And all of the trimmings. Nice steamed dim sims if you're in a. I always used to get the steamed dim sim if I was in a real hurry. Mm. Couldn't wait for anything. Had to have dim sims now. Quick stat.
0: Yeah, that was sort of home from the footy food for me.
1: Yeah, dim sims. It, it was like bow clamps. <laughs> Tim Sim, Stat <laughs> And uh, Nick Bartels and Hardwick Bilko. Now there's a company that knows how to build And I can tell you that inner city properties Are only going to increase in value Don't worry about the flattening out of prices At the moment if you've got a property that is Undervalued because the land's Worth a lot but the house might need a little bit Of an upgrade, think of the best renovators In town and builders, Nick Bartels And Hardwick Bilko
0: And builders to the stars of course, Scott Pendlebury, Dyson Heppel Mike Sheehan
1: and others, that are not as forward in having their names associated with this promotion. Uh, Nick Spar tells clients like to keep their privacy. Some do. Some are so taken by the workmanship that they say, use our names freely. All right, before we get into it, what
0: do you make of this round?
1: A oh, very telling round. I, I thought that the Bulldogs win over the Cats was... Telling for a couple of reasons, and that is that Geelong, the highest scoring team in the competition, got caught up in this current sort of defensive mindset. They thought that they were playing Geelong at an arm's length, but they weren't. And I think, really, Cats were probably on top for most of the game, mm. I felt. Yeah. Well, if you don't take advantage of it, as they would normally do, you're in a position of vulnerability. And the same thing happened at Collingwood. So I think it's a salient lesson for teams that are on top but start to hone their defensive game more than their attacking game. That's part one. Part two is that Brisbane have no such mindset. They, to me, are the clearest-minded of the teams now up in the... Upper climbs of the ladder. Clear as minded in that. Isn't football about getting the ball and and attacking? Well, I used to think that, but I'm starting to think I might be wrong. And that I'll, was, yeah, go on. I'll just say, if you put 18 guys or girls on the ground and they were uncoached, the nature, basic instinct would be to get the ball and kick it towards where you're headed.
0: We'd probably get a better game than some of the ones we're seeing at the yeah, moment. Yeah, they are over perfectly But I'm
1: just saying that they, to me, play the purest style of football. And yep. impurity is the only way you could describe Fremantle's performance at every level against West Coast, mm. who are headed for a top two finish, which makes most people feel, almost guarantees them a grand final spot.
0: All right, before we get into the nuts and bolts, uh, 25 words or less, seriously, what do you think of the state of the game aesthetically at the moment?
1: The game has, it's over-engineered, and what disappoints me is that teams in control often play terrible football.
0: Does about twenty words. Well done. Um, yeah, I think it's in trouble, uh, and we'll uh, we'll talk about this, no doubt, as the year goes on. I don't
1: no. I don't mind bad teams who are out of form playing terribly, mm. but I don't like good teams in form not going towards you know yeah. not, not heading for home. It's the
0: sameishness of a lot of games that has me really worried. Um, anyway, we've got nine games to dissect in our first segment, so let's do it. On Foleyology, wrap around. Well, I'll... I've just
1: got a call back. Yeah? Samishness is not a word. I think it is. Samishness. Yeah. Okay. Sameness? S- yeah, but probably closer to money. I'll ring up Messrs. Websters and Oxford okay. after that, the program. That was
0: impeccably timed right as I was throwing to the very first game of the round. Um, Friday evening, Hawthorne Collingwood at the MCG. I'm not going to mince words with this. This was an absolute turkey of a game, redeemed only slightly by the last 20 minutes or so. And ultimately, look, if you're a Hawk fan, you probably... Actually, you might still be fussed. That's how bad it was. But you'd be pretty happy with the win, and it was a good effort by the Hawks in the end to win... Uh, I won't say a thriller either, but 9 67 four-point victors over Collingwood, 9-9-63. Two goals each to Bruce Henrahan, Oliver Henrahan, who's uh, starting to have a bit of impact, and Mitch Lewis, or if you're Channel 7, Lewis Mitchell. Um, two goals for the Pies, to Goey and Hoskin Elliott, the rest singles. Sicily, um, I thought probably the standout player on the ground, uh, very impressive down back. Isaac Smith plugged away. Jarman Impey been good for the most of the year. Lewis showing a bit up forward. Warples pretty solid as a midfielder. Collingwood. Where are they at? Crisp was good for them. Uh, Trelaw racked up the touches. Not necessarily with a heap of impact. Ditto side bottom. degoy. Flashed in and out, but uh, not really a constant presence. Uh, couldn't think of too many more. 66,407 the crowd there. What do you make of it, fine? Sixty-six four
1: 66,405 watched the game. Two were evicted for lifting up a banner that, Warned of, glo- warned of the dangers of global warming and were evicted from the ground because they transgressed AFL rules that state that you're not allowed to hold up any signs that are political in nature. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> oh, out you go. Okay. Out you go. There's no such thing as global warming. Get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get
0: out. <laughs> it was Andrew Bolt doing the security, <laughs> was
1: it? So yeah. two, two less than actually were numbered there and they were the lucky two they yeah, really were yeah, it was it was <laughs> I, a shocker i thought you know what i might just have a global warming banner <clears> or <throat> flag in my pocket at all games <laughs> to unfurl if the game progresses as i saw on friday morning. or you could make well
0: you could make it a white flag or i give up
1: you've bored me into submission this game had one major problem with it it sucked forward lines out of touch now you see forwards have always been the men that kick the goals, haven't they? Yep. You you get some help from the midfield, but you hope that there's... They didn't have... There wasn't a going forward between them. Now, Bruce was good, but even he... Do you see a couple of shots he had a goal? Mm. So un-Bruce-like. There was one where there was nowhere between him and the goal, and it was about 40 metres. And He kicked it along the ground. It barely made it. It was like the putt of a nervous putter. Mm. It's as though he kicked it with the broomstick. It was so... And the, Cox, I mean, unfortunately, when you're sort of new to the game, obviously his touch was dependent very much on playing every week because he came back from that injury. And it's it's as though he's forgotten everything he's learned. He was flying. He was constantly flying at the wrong time for the Early. ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like watching a tail end batsman swishing at something that's in the keeper's gloves already. You felt like you should be at short legged sledging him. But the, the obvious question, now I've
0: seen Hawthorne a bit recently and they have been playing like this and I sort of understand why, but it's very, you know, maintain position at all costs sort of football. Collingwood clearly is a better side in terms of talent. Surely um, people would be sitting there thinking, well,
1: why doesn't Collingwood just rip this game open? They did revert back very much to their to their Buckley coached instinct of playing the game along the boundary line. Yeah. I mean, there seemed to be a a frustrating number of dead ends and ball ups and throw ins because Collingwood seemed to be heading that way.
0: Yeah, well, this this is a recurring theme without sort of departing from the script, uh, and we'll get to this game, but the Geelong Bulldogs game, we worked out at the finish, or Daniel Harford worked out, only 32% or something of the game was played through the corridor.
1: Well, this is what happens. At team meetings, does the coach go, right, I want the following children up the front of the class. Braden, so, Maynard, sorry, you can come up, please. Adam Trelog, you come up. You're all getting the strap for centering the ball and that kick being picked off by the opposition because that is obviously the greatest sin in football is to roll the dice, go down the middle and have it come back the other way. Now, I know that you can pay a big price if the ball turns over, but I don't understand, especially when you watched Essendon play, and this is more global rather than specific to Collingwood Hawthorne, the Essendon-Sydney game was no better until Essendon took the game on and they... Absolutely, in 20 minutes, in 15 minutes in that last quarter, Mm. made a game that I thought Sydney was going to win because in the stalemate, they seemed to be less stale. But Essendon just turned on that switch and actually Sydney couldn't go with them. Because they're
0: too quick for them. Now, there's there's a theory. Lee Matthews, I heard his post-match about that Essendon-Sydney game. We're departing from Hawthorne-Collingwood I think it's worth the discussion. Well... He was very big on the game suddenly opening up because of fatigue, but I don't think it is fatigue. No, it's because
1: the scoreboard says now's the time you have to roll the dice. Well, I'm
0: reminded of a well-worn but still applicable cliche, which is the greatest risk is to take no risk.
1: Is it not possible for coaches to have their team take the game on more down the corridor, but still have some player or two players sweeping – in event of the turnover, it seems to me that so careful is the progress up the field, painfully kick by kick out to the flanks and coming back across and swapping around and whatever, that the whole team is invested in that. So they move forward as one. At that point, the turnover kills you. Yeah. But if you left a guy back or had a, had more of a V formation, you could do it. Now, it's relevant to this Collingwood Hawthorne game because in the end, Collingwood only have themselves to blame for losing the game. And do you know why they lost the game, Rowan?
0: Because they didn't score as many Because the
1: siren went at that particular point in time. That yeah. is the only reason they lost the game. Mm. If it had gone two minutes more, they would have been in front. And then Hawthorne could have blamed themselves because they both had enough ball at 50 to 55 metres out from goal that did not result in a score because of an obsession... With not turning it over.
0: Okay, so uh, firstly on Collingwood.
1: uh, Completely lost their confidence through a forward line that is not worth kicking to.
0: Are they in trouble?
1: Huge trouble.
0: They're still third on the ladder.
1: I know they're a third on the ladder, but you know why they're in huge trouble? Because Mason Cox is so sorely out of form. Mm. My check works hard up the field. He's good. Good lad. The rest of their forward line, I mean, Elliot came back. He was a bit rusty, but. He's still Elliot's he's, of
0: some value. He's pretty important to me. I'm him. saying
1: he is of some value. Yeah. And the rest of their forward line, DeGoey is, he's gone from being a match winner mm. to, I don't know about his football IQ. You
0: know who they've really missed the last couple of weeks? Whom? Stevenson.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, that's not going to change. No. It would be some sort of justice if they missed the eight and he didn't get to play. And they're not going to miss the eight.
0: But so so um, on just on Hawthorne. Now, they,
1: they are not great either.
0: Okay, so I was going to say, is this the sort of result? I know this sounds stupid in a way, but is this the sort of result that effectively delays them totally rebuilding because everyone goes, oh, look, they can still pull it out and, and pick off big opponents on a given day?
1: No, no, the coach understands. Yeah. I mean, Lewis and Henrahan kicked... What, what how many goals did they kick nine
0: uh well between them they kick four of nine yeah,
1: yeah I'm saying so the that is where the future is they continue mm. that development
0: yeah did okay they... um last one uh can Colin... and
1: I just want to say you know for some players getting the captaincy steals their resolves and and really makes them into the play that they the best player they can be think I think Nick Maxwell yeah not Ben Stratton yeah. Yeah, I thought he was loopy again on, on Friday night.
0: Yeah, well, at least he can go the pinch this time.
1: Um, He's lost that from his armory, so now he just flies over the top of the of the pack when the pack
0: stopped. One word, can Collingwood still win a premiership?
1: They can. Today they'd need to turn around. And I've got some advice for Darcy Moore. Dye your hair blonde again.
0: <laughs> it's like uh, Samson. Um, all right, that's enough on that game. Let's go to Saturday. All right, back at the MCG, Saturday afternoon, the early game on Saturday afternoon, played in beautiful conditions. It was a lovely midwinters afternoon. Unfortunately, traffic chaos around the city, which meant that uh, post-game it took me about 90 minutes to get from the MCG to Marvel Stadium. And I think the trains were out in several lines and uh, construction work and whatever, driving around Melbourne is just ridiculous those days. Anyway... Uh, and a pretty ordinary game, this one too. I would say slightly better than the Hawthorne Collingwood game, but not a lot. And again, uh, another um, you know game of keepings off and scrappy footy and turnovers that opened up enough for Essendon to run out 10-point winners in the end uh, with a burst, of, uh, four go- a burst of four goals in the last quarter. 11-10-76. Defeating the Swans 9-12-66. Three goals to David Zaharakis, who did play a really good game. Uh, arguably his best game of the season. Two goals to Sean McKernan, who was really good again, I thought, in the ruck uh, when he was in there and as a forward. Two goals to Jake Stringer. Didn't do a lot, but bobbed up at important moments uh, for the Swans. Two goals to Reed, who started in defence but went forward. Two goals to Parker. Singles the rest. Um... I'll give a quick uh, synopsis here, finally. I thought Essendon looked the better team for the bulk of the game, but uh, the Swans really took charge in the third quarter. Um, Gee, they missed some very gettable shots, though. Uh, Papley missed at least two from within about 25 metres. Blakey missed
1: one in the last quarter at a critical stage where he sort of... He played on. First of all, he shouldn't have taken advantage, which is a big part of this game. That rule is totally stuffed.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, but he missed, uh, ended, uh, was the point. Um, and a couple of others besides that. In the end, Essendon probably got him with a bit of pace on the outside. They have got some terrific run. Uh, wasn't a great game by either side, let's be honest. Uh, but the Bombers running out 10-point winners and thus reversing the... Um, controversial loss, and it was interesting how Dane Rampy got booed all day for having climbed a goalpost too. So uh, bombers won. Sixty thousand one hundred and ninety nine. Pretty good crowd for Saturday afternoon at a G. Um, what do you make of it?
1: It wasn't it was disappointing in two elements. And one is that Essendon had at their clearly an advantage, as you mentioned earlier on, outside run pace and basically control through the middle of the ground. Zach Clark was the only ruckman out there, and he did all right. He, he actually gave some... For, I know he didn't play well. If you have a look at his tap work, there was some first service there given to Essendon. I thought Essendon's midfield had an opportunity to be the difference between the two teams, and at the end of the game, that's what happened. Oh, now, I thought...
0: I've got to chip in here. I thought Zach Clark uh, gave first serve to A Lear about half a dozen times. Oh,
1: uh, But... I'm saying he got his first hands on the ball. Mm. Well, Essendon's midfield was there, should have been at the ready to take the ball. The the fact, O'Leary is very athletic. Sorry,
0: Hang on. The other important point here is Essendon's midfield, uh, in the end, got the job done without Dyson Heppel, who was the last-minute withdrawal. That that was very significant.
1: But to me, they they were the more mobile midfield. Luke Parker, the only player coming back the other way out of Sydney's midfield. Mm. See, They were thin in the midfield for me, Sydney. Kennedy, I don't know what his numbers were.
0: I thought his second and third quarters were pretty good.
1: I find he's, I don't know, he's uh, he's not a, he doesn't play direct anymore. He's not getting into those dangerous positions. Their midfield
0: though has become very reliant on Parker and Kennedy and they're sort of back
1: to where they were, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, really. So the game looked like Sydney were on top, as you said. That advantage rule is ridiculous. At one point, Parker took it. I think he took it and snapped a point. And they said, no, I don't want it. And the umpire agreed with him. It's a, the rule states that it's advantage as taken by the players. Mm, yeah, and yeah, half yeah. the umpires umpire it as though they know the advantage. Yeah. Oh, no, that's all right. That was an advantage. As soon as a, a free kick's given and a player takes a step, sorry, you've taken advantage. And that was what cost them in the end, because that was exactly what happened to Blakey. And he ran himself into two dead ends and missed a, an easy goal. Yeah, I
0: liked um, I liked Parrish's game. I, I thought he,
1: Parrish was very good in yeah. the. That's that's he was great.
0: He's playing some really good footy for him. You um, know what was
1: great about McKernan? A couple of times Essendon's options up forward were really only just to put it up on sort of up there on his head, as mm. they say. And he honoured that, didn't he? That was a very good goal. He kicked it late in the third quarter, was it? Yeah.
0: Got him back within three points. And
1: it was and it was simply a matter of, we don't have anywhere to kick the ball, I'm just going to kick it up to him. Mac Tip didn't hit the scoreboard so much, but he did come quite a ways down the ground and in that last quarter provided some dangerous, not only get-out options out of the back line, but... Very quick turnaround, and that's when Essendon started moving the ball. And you know what? The minute they moved the ball, Sydney were gone.
0: Yeah. Well, he kicked uh, – uh, Tipper kicked arguably the point of the season thus far. Uh, a massive uh, run through the corridor there in the last quarter uh, certainly brought the crowd to its feet.
1: Um, I did see something I didn't like in the game, Rowan. What's that? With about five minutes to go – now, this is only on TV – Adam Sard copped a really hard hit, mm-hmm. and he looked dazed. He was walking around in off the footage in La La Land, mm-hmm. and he didn't come off. Now, just because the scores are close, and there's five minutes to go, and he's played on Papley, and he's a key player, I don't know whether that was due diligence. Okay, fair enough. Um... So, look... For me,
0: bottom line here, Essendon has shown over the last couple of weeks at least uh, a bit more resilience. I think, you know, both the GWS game and against the Swans, there's been moments where they've looked like they're about to be overpowered and they've managed to tough it out and end up on top with uh, finishing the much stronger side. I do, I mean, I'm presuming Heppel will be back next week, but I do think the injuries are going to take their toll, particularly. With the ruck situation, no bell chambers for at least, well, arguably the rest of the home and away rounds. Um, and Ambrose is a pretty significant loss to them as well. And of course, throw in Devin Smith, who wasn't right even before he was injured, and Joe Danaher. So um, no excuses there, but I think in terms of personnel, that will find them out at some stage over the final Seven games, so I still suspect
1: they're not going to make the eight. And just because I was watching it on TV, Adam Sard, he might have come off for a minute because I know that he got that injury, and then a minute or so later he was definitely on the ground. I cannot definitively say that he did not come off.
0: Mm, Okay, all right, uh, let's go up to the Gold Coast. Well, we've had the Milpera Massacre, we've had uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday. Is this the Metricon Massacre? Um, because certainly in the modern context, we don't see many half time scorelines like this. And it read Gold Coast, three goals one, Richmond, 16 goals seven. Yep, 16 goals seven at half time. Richmond became the first team in seven years to have brought up 100 points by half time of a game. They scored five goals in the first 10 minutes. They scored nine in the first quarter. They scored 16 for the first half. Um, thereafter, it was uh, Gold Coast sort of held them relatively in check, but uh, the damage obviously done. The goals, Castagna 5, great performance from him. Lambert 3, Lynch 3, 2 to Cotchin, 2 to Bolton, 2 to Rioli, singles the rest. McPherson 2 for Gold Coast Singles the rest for them Great game from Trent Codchen, uh The skipper back and on song Lambert very very good Getting back to that uh, form That was so outstanding For them in that Premiership year Arguably Castagna's best game um, Brandon Ellis played a really good game I think they're starting to get good value From Shy Bolton I will expand on this Great game from Prestier against his uh, old side uh, Camden McIntosh Pretty good. Also, um, for Gold Coast Finney, their 11th straight loss. Um, Richmond took 23 marks inside 50, by the way. And for me, this whole game was summed up by that farcical episode uh, just on half-time, where Brandon Ellis got awarded a 50-metre penalty, ran forward to find no Gold Coast player on the mark, so immediately ran another 10 metres and kicked the goal. Um, They are just a rudderless ship now.
1: Okay, this was an interesting game. First of all, prior to the... Well, you raised your eyebrows there, Rowan. Well... Oh, it was very interesting. Okay. I'll explain why. Start of the game, one of the strangest selection moves I've heard for years. Peter Wright's been pretty effective this year. Mm -hmm. They don't have a lot up forward. But he takes his turn in the ruck. He's actually not a bad ruckman. And he's definitely been a decent presenting forward. Yeah. He's played all year. And the coach decided, because there was rain forecast, to bring him out of the team. To remove him, you know, Simon Beasley-like from the side. Because it was they were too tall. They're not too tall. They're not too tall at all. They need tall targets. It was a crazy move, honestly. As it happens, there were plenty of good marks taken above, you know. The grounds dry quickly. There was some heavy rain, but it was not played, as the scoreline suggests, in torrential rain. It was a very strange late late change. All right. How does a team kick 16 goals in the first half? Well, you know what? They had about 14 goals. They had 14 goals six or seven minutes into the second quarter. They actually slowed down in that second quarter. How does that happen? I have never seen so many kicks by a team, that is Gold Coast, miss their intended mark and hit the opposition on the chest. Either over the top of a player's head, to the side of them. The only time they came out of defence and didn't kick the ball back to Richmond was when they kicked it wildly out on the full. It was atrocious. So you come to the second half. Now, I guess if you have a look at the game, you think, well, Richmond put, their cue in the, put the cue in the rack a bit and it sort of petered out to that result. Well, that's not true. Richmond were desperate for percentage. And Gold Coast were bloody good in the second half. They attacked... They withstood, and it was a really decent contest. Now, I know that they got annihilated, and they played terribly in that first half. And Richmond was so confident and attacking. But Richmond wanted more because they need that percentage. So Gold Coast's second-half performance was meritorious. I thought Dustin Martin wasn't that effective. Oh, he was effective. I should say he wasn't that prominent. I thought the game of Kane Lambert was brilliant. Dion Prestia, except for his final kick, sometimes a goal was very good, but that Sydney stack—he's superb—and they played this first game in the position Stack played most of the year. Egalessi Smith, mm. and he was great. Yeah, they've got this.
0: They got some sparks, some haven't they? Depth.
1: What teams would do for a Stack or Egalessi Smith? Mm. That's two players, not three.
0: Oh, Stack of Egalessi Smith.
1: It sounds like a something something <laughs> you a eat at a pancake. brunch, yeah, a brunch. <laughs> <laughs> but he's good, Egolesi Smith.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Really, another one.
0: Yeah, but uh, see, so stack superb. Will you think about Egolesi Smith? Uh, well, stack, um... <laughs>
1: pancake <laughs> stack. <laughs> I have an Egolesi Smith stack. Um,
0: but uh, Bolton, I really like Bolton. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they have got they have got some real X Factor, haven't they?
1: Yeah, and soul Yeah, he plays the game with X Factor.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: yeah they're good fun to watch they yeah. are good fun to watch
0: yeah i I reckon they're coming too, and uh we'll we'll uh expand on that in a bit more depth a bit later on Gold Coast any maple syrup, not right now um uh, Canadians love it though apparently with their egosie Smith <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> all right uh maybe we should, gold Coast maybe we, yeah where are they eleven straight losses bad
1: yeah, bad um
0: are they as bad as last year
1: I guess so, but th- like I said, the second half, maybe they can build something from there. They, you know, unfortunately players that, Sexton started the year really well. Mm. He's gone back to this forward that doesn't run or chase. Yeah. I don't know, I, I, I feel for the coach. I really do feel for the coach. Mm. Richmond are producing players number 30 or 31 now. 30, you know, their 31st best player, say. Edgar Smith, an absolute beauty. And poor old Gold Coast are having to recycle Brad Shear and just guys that they've, are clearly not going to be AFL standard. They they don't have
0: the depth. Yeah. All right, no, fair summation. Uh, All right, that was up at Metricon Stadium, and we had a couple of big, uh, well, a showdown and a derby. Let's talk about them now. Okay, Adelaide, Twilight Saturday, showdown Forty Seven. Gee, they've gone fast. Doesn't seem like that long ago to me, anyway, when Port Adelaide came into the competition. And this was a big night for the Power. They recorded uh, one of the biggest wins in showdown history. It was Adelaide's lowest score ever in a showdown. Uh, only Port's second win in the last 10 showdowns, but uh, a massive second half from the Power. In the end, running out uh, stunning. Uh, 57-point victors, 15-11, 101, smashing Adelaide. Five goals, 14-44. Three goals to Ebert, two to Gray, two to lotter, Rosie. And two to Howard. Two goals to Taylor Walker, the only multiple for the Crows. Robbie Gray, absolutely outstanding finey. He won his fifth showdown medal with a 35-possession, 10-clearance game. Was nine goals to one in the second half. Uh, late withdrawal for the power two, missing Travis Boke, so that made it uh, even more
1: meritorious. And the and the feeling at the start of the game from commentary was this is going to be a you know a bridge too far for Port, but their best players not playing. What a pity.
0: Well, the, fair to say the rest of the midfield stepped up. Uh, thirty six touches to Tom Rockley, thirty three to Wines. Uh, in contrast. Adelaide, uh, impotent up forward. Uh, Josh Jenkins back in the uh, fray and Eddie Betts, zero goals between them. Walker very well held by Tom Cleary. Uh Even so, at halftime, you wouldn't have had a hint of what was to come, would you? I mean, the Crows were very inaccurate, 4-11 to halftime, uh, only trailed by three points to Port 6-2. So 15 scoring shots to eight. You would have thought if anyone was going to kick away with it, it would have been the Crows.
1: The game was incredibly taken away by Port Adelaide not incredibly, but the game of Bonner was superb and Clory. Now all of a sudden the Adelaide forward line after half time was completely culpable in the loss, not because they didn't score, but because they did not man up. Mm. And the traffic out of the back line, as I said, Bonner was fantastic. The performance by the on-ballers now, Ollie Wine's was poor last week. It's, I think, games like showdown and derbies we don't have them here in Melbourne is an opportunity to wipe the slate. Maybe if your form's not great, and just go in there with the clear head of this is the game everybody's watching, and players that see themselves as big game players do perform well, and Ollie Wine's really. I think his four-quarter performance was the best of any of the midfielders. Mm. I was very impressed by him. The Adelaide forward line, I mean, Walker wasn't terrible. He wasn't a disaster, but the rest of them were. It was a a very poor performance by the Adelaide players. Greenwood came up the ground. He provided some target for them. Mm. And I, I would say that on what I saw... Adelaide won't make the won't make the eight.
0: Well, they might, but um, they won't last long. Put it that way, and it just yeah, it, it absolutely confirms what I've thought for a while now, which yeah. is they will never get back to what what they were in two thousand and
1: seventeen, which know, is sad, really, because they played great footy. You know, he's a handy player, is Sam is uh, Sam Gray. Yeah, I yeah. know. I know Robbie Gray is the standout. His younger brother. His little friend. <laughs>
0: he was very good. Uh, sorry, just for all those people on Twitter, we don't actually think they're brothers.
1: Yeah. Uh, I like the game of Byrne Jones. He's playing quite well. Yep. He's played, ever since he made his debut, he's a bit of a fixture, isn't he? He's mm. a, a, a quiet achiever, maybe a bit underrated. And Tom Rockliffe, it's hard to believe he played two games in the sandful. Just
0: well, he got, uh, what 57. was it, 57 in the second one <laughs> yeah. and probably yeah, strengthened his claims to re
1: I know that the Crouchers got a bit of the ball, but can I say that they were, for the number of possessions, quite ineffective or... They were almost invisible at times. I was surprised at the end of the game to see how much touch, how many touches they had. Mm. That There are sometimes midfielders who get a lot of the ball and at the end of the game you're surprised by the number. mm I don't want to be. This he was a great player, but sometimes Scotty West. Yeah, I was shocked by how often he had the ball.
0: I feel like Mac, Matt Crouch is a bit like that. I mean, he's been an all-Australian, but yeah. he—I feel like he has a tendency to be a bit like that.
1: No, I don't think they had much of an impact on the game. But
0: they are just. Yeah, you know, I can't keep. I can't help but keep comparing them to two years ago, and they're just a shadow of that team. There's not the same fluency. There's not the same potency up forward. How many of those players that were in that? line up two years ago uh, and who are still there now are much better players now than they were then it's hard to think of any
1: look we know Lynch wasn't playing he's so important for them yeah we know that Eddie Betts the it comes quickly the end doesn't it mm. the road the road narrows to you know the, the the freeway becomes a road a path and a dead end quite quickly for some footballers especially when you rely on pace and their forward line, I guess, a couple of years ago, they weren't babies. Yeah. So did we expect them to get
0: better? Uh, I just thought, I don't know. I, I guess I had the feeling that last year was a disaster and they would rebound very strongly. And I was hardly Robinson Crusoe. But, yeah, I mean, it, it now looks like that was their shot at it and and they blew it. Yeah. And um, I, th- I think, you know, that happens and they're probably going to be a, a reasonable case of it. So... Uh, they're in the 8 on percentage only, 3% ahead of Essendon. Um, and this is why I, I think they might st- you know—they might very well stay there because I think Essendon's got a tough run home with uh, both its opponents and the injuries it's up against. North are, are still a game behind, so they've still got work to do. Frio not playing nearly well enough. Bulldogs coming hard, so they're perhaps a chance.
1: But if, if, if any of the teams you just mentioned, Essendon albeit with, by then, hopefully Bell Chambers back in the team. Because you're right, with uh, their injuries, without Bell Chambers, I can't see them Mm. being effectively able to make it. But if Essendon, Bulldogs or North made it, they'd be very interesting finalists. I'm telling you, if Adelaide finish 8th or 7th, it's a waste of time.
0: What about Port?
1: Uh, We wax and wane on them, and you know why? Because, as I said last week...
0: I'll tell you why. Because they've gone win-loss now for seven weeks in a row, which means they lose next
1: week. Which Maccaveney said, if you ask a Port supporter, are you going to win this week? He'll say the, the response will be, which depends which Port turns up. Yeah. It makes them more, to me... More of a an X factor come finals than Adelaide could ever be.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that. And just on that race for the eight two, very big couple of weeks coming up for the Bombers. Who uh, so Essendon are in ninth. They play North Melbourne next week. I'd call that a final. I'd are, call
1: that a knockout final.
0: Uh, who are tenth, and uh, the week after they play, play Adelaide. Adelaide. Yeah, so, I would say
1: that Essendon North game. Yeah, is almost whoever wins that carries on. Whoever loses it starts to find it tough.
0: Yeah quite possibly Uh, two eight point games in a row for the Bombers. Alright let's move on Back to Marvel Stadium we go Saturday evening Western Bulldogs and Geelong and uh, in the context of what Geelong has given us this season uh, this was a very significant win to the Western Bulldogs who no doubt are starting to put a bit of decent form together 10-11-71 Defeating a uh, unusually inaccurate Geelong 71356 four goals to Aaron Norton who was terrific and I will expand on him in some detail a bit later so let's leave that one there for the moment Sam Lloyd three goals he's been a terrific pickup for them for the cats two to Dangerfield two to Hawkins and uh, singles the rest
1: very disappointed with the AFL website why who listed Tory Dixon as a goal kicker and spelt a D I X O N. Ah, come on. Yeah, okay. Come it's on. It's not the worst mistake they've made over the years. He's, he's, <laughs> he's not a Dixon. He's a Dickson. Okay. The that goal by Bailey Smith. That last goal. Then were you close to him when he kicked it?
0: Bailey Smith
1: didn't. Yeah, oh. for the Bulldogs that. Goal towards the end
0: where... You mean East Melbourne's finest mullet Yeah okay Can I tell you about the post game interview just quickly yeah, yeah. We interviewed him after the game This is unbelievable No it, it's not that big a deal And I said I said we've got a bit of a spiel on this How we call you East Melbourne's finest mullet I've lived there all my life And he goes Oh whereabouts And I said oh well I live um, My mum still lives in but the this place This
1: is not on here. Yeah On <laughs> air Oh no no <laughs> sorry
0: this bit wasn't on here. Yeah um, I said well my mum still lives in Gave the name of the yeah. street And he said oh I'm I'm number 20, four doors down. He lives
1: four <laughs> doors down from my mum. That's great. Uh, Anyway, yeah. It looked like he his joy at kicking that goal, which was a sealer, it was as though he kicked the goal in time on of the of <laughs> the World Cup. <laughs> he's a great kid.
0: He was infectious. a really good interview. He's a great kid. Yeah.
1: Isn't he a good, good kid to bring into your team? Yeah. Hasn't missed a game this year?
0: No, he's been really good.
1: Again, you were at ground level. How did Toby McLean not... Get dropped to the VFL. I thought he was great, pressure and, you know, he was. He'd come back through the VFL last week.
0: Yeah. Well, I think um, it. I felt even at halftime, and Geelong never led by a lot. But I always felt like it was only a matter of time till they cranked it up. But the Bulldogs they were sort of being out-toughed a bit, out-strengthed a bit early. And once they picked up that contested side of the game, uh, they were the superior side. And in, in the end, they uh, they ran all over the Cats, five goals to one in the last quarter.
1: Didn't you sort of get... Go, I, I got the sense in the first three quarters that had had they just got the ball in the hands of, say, Kelly or, or Duncan, just uh, somebody to finish off their work, that they were a couple of times a goal away from... St- Stomping on the Bulldogs,
0: yeah, well maybe they thought that too, well, that's the problem, yeah, the,
1: as the problem is, as I said when talking about the Collingwood Hawthorne game, that control of a game only happens on one in one place, and that's on the scoreboard, and it doesn't matter if you've got the ball and all your defensive setups are working perfectly, if you're never more than a couple goals ahead, then you remain susceptible. I mean, Ask teams that have played Carlton in the last four weeks. Mm. If you don't put a side away when you're all over them like a rash, you're in big trouble. And Aaron Norton is a dangerous forward. He came to the fore in the last quarter. Bontem Pelly, who's a power player that goes forward, kicked a goal in the last quarter. You're never going to be completely safe against a team that has some firepower. Okay, so uh, again, I mean, I'm going to keep posing those
0: questions about the composition of the eight. There's, we know there's a, a long list of sides who are contending. Do you think the Bulldogs at the moment are the best qualified of the sides outside the eight? No. Who is North Melbourne. Yeah, I'll put them on a par with North at the moment. I think their best is, I really, I really is like, good.
1: I'll get to it, but I really like Larky now with Brown. It reminds me more of White and Brown working at their best, two mm. tall forwards. Yeah. Obviously Zerha. I, I think North have I think North have some scope. And and Geelong will make the top two. They've got quite a few games at VMHBA still to come and their percentage is almost worth a game as well. But S- still a game clear.
0: Yeah. Um I guess yeah, I I just feel like their greatest Opponent at the moment might be themselves and might have just got a bit too cruisy for them. So which is
1: good at this time of the year. They've, yeah. got, they've got an experienced coach.
0: Well, two losses in three. Um you think there'd be a, a few butts and metaphorically
1: we metaphorically kicked. And we don't like the way Adelaide have been playing, yet for quite a bit of the game at GMHBA against Geelong pushed them. They pushed them. So where you were close to the action. Mm. Where is Geelong not Hitting the right notes um, well I, I feel like they've they've lost a, a
0: bit of that dash I mean Rowan came back in and did a bit uh, Dowhouse probably wasn't as prominent um, they re- had
1: to save his energy Dalhouse for what after the game he was Talking to all the bulldogs, <laughs> pl- pl- he was socializing like it was his 21st. you're yeah, allowed to talk to him. He, um, he was running from player to player to,
0: to catch up. They they rested uh, Parfit, who gives him a bit of spark. Atkins has probably dropped a, away a bit, you know, from that sort of. Uh, forward pressure, yep. he was doing so well early in the year. Are they ready to
1: welcome back Menegola just as a bit of a fillip?
0: A, a yeah. They don't, I don't think they miss hardness, but he's a really good player. I reckon the guy who could actually help him a bit more is Radaglia. Yep. Um,
1: Stanley hasn't been great the last couple of weeks. No. Nah,
0: no, nah, I did feel like the Rucks were, were critical. But, but
1: But Bulldogs have actually lost a few games because Young English has been monstered. a bit. He's going to be a good player, yeah. But he has been taken apart by some of the better ruckmen.
0: Yeah, I look. I, it wasn't a shocking loss by the Cats. Um, you know, I'm not looking at that and thinking they're in trouble. Not to the same extent we're looking at Collingwood and thinking they've got some issues. I don't think Geelong has issues thus far. But you know, if they keep losing games, they will have. The... If,
1: if they played that game again tomorrow, mm. I guarantee you one thing: they wouldn't be so blasé about hitting the scoreboard in the first three quarters as they were in this game. Yeah, yeah, no, fair call.
0: All right, that's enough on that game. Uh, We talked about one clash of local rivals in Adelaide. Let's talk about the one in Perth. Now, a few people uh, slapped me down for calling it the Derby, finey, and I know they call it a Derby, but in Melbourne, we say Derby, and I'm going to continue saying derby. Derby. Derby, 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 Derby. A massive 91-point win to the Eagles. 19 goals, 8, 122 to Fremantle. Cop this scoreline. Two goals, 19, 31. Uh, The most inaccurate scoreline, I believe, since Richmond in, I think, 1975. Kicked two goals, 20 against Hawthorne one day. Um,
1: I was there the day Hawthorne kicked most behinds
0: Oh, uh, 41 25-41 I'm telling you I think it was 77
1: Yeah, I'm telling you, mate They should have kicked 50 goals that day Yeah They were walking into the points
0: Yes, well, uh, like Malcolm Blight um, Four goals to Cameron Four goals to Cripps Four goals to Darling Two to Hickey um, <laughs> and a snap by Hickey. Did you see the Hickey snap? I saw the great mark he took. Yeah. Um and Gosh. uh surprisingly no multiple goal kickers <laughs> for the Tigers. Split might, between their two best forwards. Yeah, yeah, might as well give the whole uh freeo goal kicking, uh, McCarthy and Walters, and that's it. Um they just smashed him, didn't they? I mean they the were The game was over after five seconds. Well, the scoreboard would indicate it was five wasn't. seconds. Why what happened in five seconds? When you
1: realise Nat Newey is an athletic ruckman. Yeah. And there is, there is, you know, unfortunately, there's some old geezer in the middle there. <laughs> Who's he? I mean, he just leapt over the top yeah. of him, and you thought this isn't going to be good. He was a pretty handy old geezer
0: for a long time, but uh, yeah, I think time. But he
1: just leapt in the air, Nat Nui. I mean, uh, time time has uh-oh.
0: caught up with him. Yep. Um, second biggest winning margin ever in a uh, in a Derby. Derby, um, mate. Uh, Gee, a. a, a, a Oh, I can say pissed down. It pissed down, didn't it? At stages. Geez, that was heavy rain. They've had so- a lot
1: of rain. They've had heaps of well, rain. We've had there.
0: cyclonic activity over WA most of the week, I think. Um, Brad Shepherd won the Dining medal. I know you want to talk about him a bit later, so yep. we'll leave that one alone. Uh, you talked about Nick Nat, though. In that second quarter, when they kicked, uh, how many? Uh, sorry, I've just lost the scores momentarily. Seven. Might have even been eight. Uh, Yes, eight goals too. Four of those eight goals came directly from centre bounce clearances.
1: It was just a mess for the poor other team. Fife was completely, you know, blanketed, held. Langdon was invisible. There was no, at no point did West Coast allow Fremantle to take control of any part of the game, I'm. That, sometimes you say two nineteen. Well, maybe they could have kicked nine or ten goals. I didn't feel that at all. No, I no. felt I felt that the points they were kicking. Baras didn't get a lot of the ball, but he he governed the back line like Jeremy Mack. Yeah, they're, I, they're a good combination. Yeah,
0: I'm sorry. I'm just I'm sniggering because someone posted on Twitter uh, with the whatever the cup they play for when they have the yeah. derby. Um, they're, they're doing the team shot with the cup and McGovern was on one end and Brass was on the other and they would pulled their shorts up like Harry <laughs> high pants. I don't, I don't know what that was about, but have a look at the pick if you can. It's pretty funny. Um, so he, here's why I like West Coast. Uh, they're bloody good, but you know, Gaff 34 touches. They've brought Jared Cameron into the side. He was terrific with four goals, four goals to Cripps. Um, really, really good medium-sized forward, forward a darling. Josh Kennedy was a late withdrawal. He didn't even play.
1: That's funny because he was ill a couple of weeks ago, but he did play, and
0: Mm. I don't know, he's just got a lingering bug. And uh, the smashing saw West Coast, importantly, add 7.9% to their percentage. They are now ensconced in the top two. And I'm telling you, if they stay there, they get a home final first up. They they were my pre-season tip for the flag, and they will remain my tip for the flag. I reckon they are building beautifully.
1: Not a good night for Fremantle and three straight losses. So endeth the challenge. What challenge? For the eight? Oh, you reckon they're definitely going? Well, the, the, before that they had a couple of wins on the death on you know on the siren. Which were great, those uh, Walters Brisbane and Collingwood. The Walters day. goals.
0: Yep. Or
1: point and goal. Yep. But since then, I mean they are they are falling down a they're falling down a rabbit hole that poor old what's her name couldn't have couldn't get out of. Oh. You know, the that story of the girl that falls down the rabbit hole and meets the mad hatter and
0: Oh, Alice. Yeah. Right.
1: Is it does she fall down a rabbit hole? Well, she goes down some hole.
0: Okay, um, he does. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. It just sounded rude. Um, Freo. Uh, so, well, mathematically, I mean, they're only a game outside and seven percent. Yeah. No, they're not going to do it, are they? No, no.
1: Well, we were talking about the challenges, and they rightfully will come from Essendon, North Melbourne, and the Bulldogs. Well, could you possibly tip Freo against any of those three teams in the next if they're playing next week? I
0: don't know. To be perfectly honest, I don't reckon many teams are that good.
1: Okay, well Frio's not as good as <laughs> then, Essendon North or the Bulldogs. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with I agree with that. Uh, uh comp- they've had their injuries too, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I'm factoring them in and saying they're no good. All right, I'll ask you this, given uh where West Coast sits
1: now. Um who's your flag tip? So long. Oh, you know, West Coast, they're starting to make a case though, aren't they? Certainly are. And Richmond I'm not ruling out as well
0: No no I think Richmond Are very well placed In fact I, I Would expect them To take uh, GWS's spot In the top four At this stage
1: Which would If they finish fourth Then you really want To finish second uh, Yes Because if you finish top You're going to play them Yes correct Well wouldn't you rather Play whoever finishes third Probably Collingwood At this stage
0: Alright uh, There are Saturday's Five games done and dusted Let's talk about Sunday MCG, and it turned out to be a thriller. And in a weekend of uh, dour, mainly low-scoring scraps, or the ones that weren't low-scoring, one-sided, uh, how's this? This might only be the second or third game this season in which both sides scored 100 points. In the end, a thrilling five-point win to Melbourne, 15-15, 105, to a gallant Carlton, 15-10, one hundred six goals to Tom McDonald. That sounds unusual when you say it those days. Six goals to Tom McDonald. Three to Petrarca. Three to Hunt who did some good work up in the forward line. Three goals to Levi Casbold, who had his kicking boots on kicks and rippers. Three to Jack Silvani who this was the best game I've seen Jack Silvani play by some margin. He's good
1: he's last week. Yeah, three, no, he's really... as a run with player. Yeah,
0: he's he's picked up his game in the last month or so. Maybe he's an example of a player who flourishes under a different coach. Um, I think three to Setterfield and a uh, couple to Kennedy. But this was a game, early on it looked like Melbourne were going to smash him. I think they had the first five or six scoring shots were inaccurate. Carlton pegged a couple back, and this has become the Carlton way. They keep coming back from about five goals down. And oh, well, then,
1: Melbourne put themselves in incredible danger of losing the game by getting 34 points up against Carlton. Yeah, well, That's a very dangerous
0: position. Were they, 30, they were 34 up, weren't they? Yeah, so seven goal third quarter to Melbourne, um, and in fact they were. They were exactly 30 points up at three-quarter time. You've got to say, you can't talk about what happened in the last quarter without mentioning uh, Melbourne's injuries, which were considerable. So you had Max Gore a late withdrawal. That's as significant as it gets. Um, They lost Petty during the game. They lost Hoare during the game. And then finally, and very tellingly, lost McDonald. So down to one player on the bench, obviously hurt them massively in the last quarter. And uh, it was going to be a question of could the... The Blues get there. Well, they uh, did enough to uh, actually hit the front, didn't they? Kennedy, I think, uh, kicked a point. Or well, there's a point rush. They got a point up. And then a very cool-headed uh, Jaden Hunt managed to slot through the goal that gave the Demons the lead again. Uh, how much was left on the clock when that happened? About a minute 39 left. And then what about that bizarre one? They, Melbourne went into attack again. Mitch Hannon had that shot. There was no one there. And the ball just stopped. stopped. (laughs) It just stopped on the goal line.
1: How long was that kick?
0: Uh, Yeah, it was quite long.
1: It just stopped. It was (laughs)
0: like, (laughs) and then it was a foot race between uh, Brayshaw and his opponent. Weird. Yeah, it was weird. Uh, So when that happened, there were thirty-five seconds left, and And still
1: time for McGovern, who had done nothing for his entire Carlton career.
0: He uh, kicked off the ground and hit the post post with seven (laughs) seconds left. And then Carlton somehow got a 50-metre penalty from the kick-in. Sorry, Melbourne got a 50 from the kick-in. that
1: generally was the end of the game. Yeah,
0: but it it was. It was a really, really exciting finish and uh, and a pretty entertaining game. And uh, boy, uh, was I grateful for it after some of the dross I'd watched previously. Hunt owed them a
1: couple of times in that last
0: quarter. poor handballs.
1: Yeah, just not, ex- you know, just fluffed his final line. Mm. But he is a very long kick. Remember that big torp he did up in Darwin or was Yep, it? yep. And uh, when the ball was in his hands, he, I got a sense that he was certainly going to cover the range. Mm. It was a beautiful kick. So how did Carlton get back into the game? Well, I think it's not fair to Carlton to say it was just the injuries. They like a lot of teams, when faced with a deficit, play their best football. And they're, they're pretty dynamic. Mm. You can imagine, and I know Melbourne have heaps of outs, but you can imagine that team with just one of Mackay or Kernell winning that game. Or creeps. Oh, that I'm saying that goes with that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, but I'm just saying the way they played in that last quarter, um, just one of those... Tall delivering forwards. Yeah. I, I will say McGovern is very disappointing. Yeah. To quote David and he goes, McGovern had a chance to win the game, but I don't know what he's doing in the team, so you can't be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fairly harsh. Well, um, it, it's a pity because you see Mackay for a kid works really hard and Kerno attracts a crowd. I just would think that if one of them played... They might have won that game.
0: So are uh, we feeling a lot more bullish about Carlton's future prospects in light of the last month?
1: Very much so. Yeah. Very much so.
0: And are we feeling bullish? And you know
1: why I like them? Because guys like Kennedy and Silvani, who I like, feel were on the outer a bit, or they nothing worse than being a footballer who's in and out every second week. Yeah.
0: I'll ask Cole Langford.
1: But it just ruins your – if you're not confident about being in the team – you're not going to play your best footy because everything you do, you feel you're playing for your career almost.
0: Are we more bullish about David Teague's chances of getting the gig full time?
1: Oh, he's done everything that could have been asked. He him. has. He has everything.
0: I sort of, I, I sort of hope he gets it, but I, I, I still think the fact that, you know, I think. The fact that Brendan Bolton didn't work, and I know David Teague was an accomplished league footballer, but I think profile is going to loom large in the appointment for some reason. Well, Carlton have that reputation. They do, and they tried very hard to sh- shrug it off with Brendan Bolton and it seemed not to work. So it's I, I tend to think it'll be like back to old habits with them. Anyway, time will tell. Um, but a pretty good game nonetheless. Okay, let's go down to Hobart. North Melbourne, speaking of caretaker coaches and uh, renewed uh, vim and vigour. The Roos have certainly had that since Ray Shaw took over. What does that make it for him? Four wins out of five, I think.
1: He's lost one only. Yeah. Three Um, out of four or four out of five?
0: I think it might be four out of five. Oh, that's good And uh, a comprehensive win, really, over St Kilda. 17-10, 112 to the Saints, 11-7, 73. Five goals. To Cameron Zerha, five goals to Nick Larkey. What would the odds have been on uh, the start of the year if you said Zerha and Larkey are going to share 10 goals in a game? Three to Ben Brown. I would have said. What?
1: The VFL side's going well. Yes.
0: Three to Ben Brown, two to Zeebel. And for the Saints, great game from Josh Bruce. He was grabbing everything. It was a terrific effort from him. Two to Membry. He kicked Uh, six, by the way. I said six. Oh, sorry. I thought you just said he
1: grabbed everything.
0: Okay, He did, and kick six. Um, uh, really good game from Jai Simpkin. He's playing terrific footy for the Roos at the moment. Zerhar, obviously. Goals seem good in the ruck. Larky, obviously, with that five. And for your boys, Finey, like I said, really like Josh Bruce. Uh, Jack Billings, I think it was his 150- 100th, game. 100th? 100th game. Yeah, okay. Uh, he was good for him. Dunstan, I don't mind Dunstan, um, and I thought he was okay. Marshall again in the ruck. Not a lot besides that. And really, when How you time, right? when you have a look at this game, it was basically one in the first quarter and then sort of tit for tat, wasn't it? In fact, seven goals to one at quarter time thereafter.
1: St Kilda got within two goals. Uh,
0: in the third, third quarter. quarter? Yeah. yeah. No, Which they is. rallied. But I mean, you know, after quarter time, it's 10 goals five to 10 goals six. Yeah. So, oh, no,
1: no. Look, North Melbourne were never going to lose the game. St Kilda did lose a very important player early in the game, Josh Battle, who's been very good for them and he's important because he's a defender who takes it another tall forward and St Kilda struggled there with Larky getting off that hook and even Zerho, he's got a nice big body battle but he's beautiful off both feet so he's good out of the back line. Nick Hind kicked a couple of lively goals for St Kilda. He's good. I like him. He's been a handy addition. Uh, North Melbourne were way too powerful for St Kilda. Zeebel, monstered the contest early. Simpkin was very good Mm. at at clearance work. Goldstein early played well. Marshall actually fought back as one would expect from this talented youngster. But obviously the game was over at quarter time. Well, they kicked the next goal as well. Eight goals to one. And for North Melbourne, you know what they say? I didn't see it but it was a spectacular comeback by Mad Jack We should not forget what a great footballer he is. And you give him three or four weeks to come back into that team mm. because he he forms, gives you this option. He, he gives you a great centre-half back, or if your forwards are struggling, he goes forward. Mm. And he's a wonderful chop-out for Goldstein in the ruck.
0: All right, to that end then, uh, as we refer back to the ladder, North Melbourne in 10th spot, a well, game outside the eight. I
1: said they're my... I'll, they'll make it. You think they'll make it? I haven't had a close look at the draw, mm. but I think they'll make it on okay. the form. Yeah, well, Their again, form is lovely. That isn't a
0: North Melbourne uh, game next week. Absolutely huge. Um, Where, where's that? Is that
1: the G or the... No, it's Marvel. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd favour North there. I think they... They're starting to become a powerhouse there again.
0: Bombers have won eight of their last nine at Marvel. Yeah, that's
1: that's not a bad record. I think Essendon will win. <laughs> <laughs> a lot
0: of Should time. A, good game. a lot. Oh, it'd be a cracker. A lot of time to uh, work out what we're, uh, which way we're leaning. You know, I love one. Essendon North games because
1: they are the, they are the oldest rivalry in football. Uh, By, easily Goes Going back, back to Essendon and Hotham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, okay. And as I've told you before, when. As described in the newspaper, when the rurals of Essendon came to town and many of their supporters were caught stealing saplings at North Melbourne's grounds. <laughs> and, it's
0: ne- and it's never been... At ground. It's How never, dare you steal trees? It's never been forgiven. Incidentally, speaking about unpopular clubs, I put out there on Twitter today, as um, Will Sederfield leveled the scores, I said... Uh, another great, uh, brave comeback by Carlton. Uh, are the Blues becoming everyone's second team? I uh, had that go down. Uh I, well. I literally got 200 responses and Never. 198 said no, and the other two said no, you. <laughs> I thought <laughs> you got my response. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't a popular suggestion. <laughs> um, now, just quickly on the Saints. Uh, I feel like, yeah, we've talked about this. I, I reckon Richo's been pretty harshly treated. Uh, Publicly And I think Internally Is the message I'm Getting there And I feel like The last two weeks They've shown enough Either week Um, Yeah this isn't a club In free fall This isn't your classic Club that isn't Going to make the finals In free fall Got to get rid of the coach It's not that simple I think there's Enough. St. Kilda's
1: decimated by injuries. Okay, so I'm saying I agree with yeah. you. Yeah, ca- an, an important injuries because the players that lead the show, Jack Stephen, mm. clearly St. Kilda's best midfielder. Yeah, Hannerby had played a couple of handy games. Yeah, so you recruit a guy and now he has to get a week off because he's sore. Mm. Says something. Geary is more than just an honest defender; and he's a good defender, but he holds that back line together. Mm. Webster is a first picked halfback flanker. These players may not play again, but Roberton was key to St Kilda. Yeah. And I'm telling you that McCartan would have been a very serviceable, a really good young full forward.
0: Yeah. Okay. So how so can So what
1: can they what can they expect?
0: So how can the coach be held responsible for what they've done this year? Which under the circumstances I think's been okay.
1: The only thing I'll say is that they've had those injuries the whole season. And they seem to not be playing as well now as they did in the first month and a half.
0: But maybe that's just those injuries coming home to roost in terms of the players who've had to cover for them running out of petrol.
1: I'm not as damning on club or coach as others, Mm. but all I'm saying is that I think he was put on notice by the football manager, was it it Lethleen who said it, or Finnis?
0: Uh no some on the left line.
1: Okay. So once you put on notice it's out there mm. since then the scales are tipping against him, not for him.
0: Yeah, I've got a feeling the uh network of Xavier old boys aren't that wrapped about him. Oh, is
1: that how, uh, to, is yeah, that how it happened?
0: Well we might talk about that in Media Watch one day, the uh Is that the, how Hanabry got to St. Kilda? The old boys network runs pretty deep in AFL footy these days.
1: Well, luckily I'm not part of it.
0: Uh me too. Uh, all right, let's get on to the last game of round 16. <coughs> and probably... Mike Williamson. What's that? I tipped this. Oh, yes, good call. Okay, well, I'll let you lead off here. I'll just give the details. A terrific win to the Lions over GWS at Giants Stadium 14 10, 94. 20 points in the finish over the Giants, who were on 11 8. Seventy-four, three goals to Lincoln McCarthy, two goals to Charlie Cameron, singles the rest. But uh, wow, catalogue of goal kickers there—three, 11 individual goal kickers for the Brisbane. Always a good sign for the Giants. Four to Himmelberg, three to Green, two to Cameron, um, Lockie Neal, uh, terrific on ball for the Lions. Harris Andrews, terrific in defence. McCarthy. Uh, has recaptured that sort of early season spark that went missing there for a while. Humic luggage becoming a really, really good, consistent player for them. Um, they got the jump on the Giants with four goals to one in the first quarter and, and never surrendered it really. Uh, four goals to, oh, even Stevens in the second quarter, four goals to three in the third and, and even pretty much in the last. But I kept waiting for the Giants to sort of roll over the top of them and it just, it, it didn't happen and I, I would suggest that Brisbane of even earlier this season would have rolled over if you remember you know they got creamed by Essendon here Collingwood absolutely smashed them they are a, a far more resilient side even now than they were a couple of months ago
1: in the second quarter that was PWS's big push to get over the top they were 20 odd points down mm. they kicked a couple of goals and Cornelio was getting his hands on everything. Green kicked uh, one of them, or he, he kicked a couple of goals, but kicked one of those comeback goals and was looking particularly dangerous. And it was just eight minutes to go before half time, or seven minutes to go. And your basic football instinct told you Brisbane would be lucky to be in front at halftime. But they got back to three and a half goals in front. And they are, they're good. They are better than people give them credit for. Look, if you have a look at all the sides, Brisbane have definitely had the best run with injuries of any team. Mm. Now, That allows them, as a young team, to get games, consistent games into players and start to create formations that know each other. And that back line really gets a feeling, you get a feeling of quite sturdy, comfortable defence, don't you? Mm. Between Andrews, Hogs very effective still, and certainly marshalling the troops. For most part, Leicester is a quiet achiever. Witherden is uh, as a... He was always a good user of the ball, but more a recipient than a getter. But now he's good in the contest. And Zorko's been a fine leader. McCluggage, game after game now, is a consistently good midfielder. Consistency, to me, is making them a better team week by week. And... You know, sometimes, remember in the olden days, clubs used to recruit players because they had one good game against them? Yeah. Remember that dynamic? Yeah, Kevin Cheney was big on it. <laughs> right? So, through my eyes, if you ask me, honestly, who's the best team St Kilda's played this year? The team that absolutely played us, played the best, to me, it's Brisbane. Now, they won by, comfortably, and they had that 9-1 to goal court against St Kilda, mm. But they, to me, look the most assured, the most dangerous. They really look good. And that played, was only three yeah. weeks ago.
0: They've played the most dynamic football of anyone. I'd, maybe Geelong on occasions. But I think Geelong and Brisbane, in terms of quality of football played, have been the two standards. I really think season. after that
1: very disappointing loss to Carlton, they sat back had a, a bit of a, a introspective examination. Mm. And they've been excellent ever since, and I think that they turned a big corner. I saw it in that game against St Kilda. They were great last week at home with Hipwood, obviously turning the game, and he was a bit sore today, yeah. but he still kicked a very important goal mm. from a long way out in that third quarter, and I think they turned a corner. That means that they deserve to finish in the top four. What a People don't realise how hard it is to come from outside the eight into the top four. Yeah, That is a real achievement.
0: All right, will they stay there?
1: Yeah, I think so. Okay. Or maybe, oh, maybe Richmond are coming hard, yeah. aren't
0: they? I don't think they will. I think Richmond are Could they
1: overtake Collingwood? Because Collingwood are starting to get the staggers.
0: Yeah, I'm going to give Collingwood a bit of credit um, to be able to drag it back. But um, Maybe it's
1: better if they don't make the top four. You see, if they finish top four, they could have a...
0: Go out in straight
1: sets. Well, they could have a very... If, if they finish fourth, I reckon the AFL will make them play at GMHBA. Yeah. Or they'll play in Perth. Very tough first final. Yeah. Be nicer if they were at home against Adelaide. You'd always want the double chance. I I know. Yeah. But but a team like that that would be well served by winning a final.
0: Yeah. Yeah, No, it's an extreme example of it, I I think. But uh, actually, on that theme of everyone's second team, there's a far more sustainable case for them. They're not my second team.
1: St Kilda's my second team.
0: Oh, you're you're oh, a, oh, a line oh, now. Eh? Oh, who doesn't enjoy watching them? <laughs> yeah, though? no, no, they're great. They're good. You to don't watch. have
1: to be. You don't have to be frustrated by. See, what I don't like about St Kilda and many teams is when we're no good. All oh, right, we get beaten. Fair enough. We didn't get the ball. We butchered it. Mm. But when we actually do what we want to do, we're not enjoyable to watch.
0: Yeah. yeah. St
1: Kilda's wins are all except maybe one game against Melbourne, they're all 72 to 77 or 80 points. Yeah, you know how I'm... That's all they try to score. Well,
0: I'm now starting to see Chris Fagan as Luke Skywalker up against 17 Darth Vaders.
1: And I thought John Worsfold would be that with Essendon. Luke Skywalker? Well, the... Didn't you see him play? The coach... (laughs) No, uh, the coach that... I thought... Essendon would be the a, a team that we the liked. entertainers. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It seems to there seems to be. Uh, uh, I've got this horrible feeling that because John Worsfold knew that this year his job was on the line, mm. rather than just roll the dice again and hope that it all worked. Maybe after losing Danaher and a couple of other key players, he he took the minimalist view of I'm just going to play like everybody else, which means that. We're in the game at three quarter time, and we might win a few.
0: I think uh, league football desperately needs a Malcolm Blight type figure to come back as a coach, and just you know, we'll score more than them.
1: Well, I reckon you know what should be compulsory. What every club's coach should be a play, should be captain coach, because that, that was <laughs> they certainly didn't impose many structures. As the old captain <laughs> coach. Yeah, I think those days are gone. All right, uh,
0: there is round sixteen suitably wrapped up. Let's now talk about some of the highs. And lows. On Footyology, hot or not. Okay, here we go. The highs, the lows, the champagne, the sour milk of round 16. Plenty of a ladder, to be honest. Um, But have found a a couple of highs to go with. I'm going to kick us off. My first one is a hot and it's the Tigers. I think they're back in town, finey. They are up to sixth on the ladder. They are nine six. They have their remaining uh how many games left? Seven games at the MCG. Um got some testing opponents, but their best is still bloody good. And most importantly, they have just about all of that catalogue of stars back or will have, with the very high likelihood that Jack Rewalt returns to the fray next week, if not next week, the week after. And uh, already in a couple of weeks, they had six inclusions last week, but we're seeing the value of them already. Trent Cotchen, um pretty unanimous as best on ground in that smashing of Gold Coast yesterday. Um, and uh, I, th- I think uh, almost perversely, it's been good for them in terms of being able to get some games into some more unheralded types and some younger players. Most of whom have really responded. We saw Ross uh, play some great footy before he got injured. Uh, we've seen Mabby or Chol come in and you can see his confidence rise. Um, and, you know, some of those lesser lights uh starting to really prove good value. Shy Bolton, three goals against the Suns. He's a small forward who can play an important part for them. Uh, Jason castagna five goals Yesterday, so, you know, they've hung in through the tough times, and, yeah, okay, they lost three in a row, but uh they're back on deck, their form is turning around, and they're all set for, I think, a pretty major tilt at a top-four spot uh, in the run home. And if they get that top-four spot, it's going to throw a very sizable tiger among the pigeons. And uh, you know what tigers can do to pigeons, so they're my hot.
1: Just when the big Ruckman Dan Curvis returns... Mm. I wonder how they're going to play it. I, I imagine Soldo goes out. Mm. René Artois from Allo Allo has to leave. Yeah, but I think Mabiala holds good value. I wonder whether he stays in the team. Well, Rewal comes back, so you yeah, think
0: they yeah. can't be too tall up forward. No, he's probably going to be stiff. But I mean, you know, it's an enviable
1: an enviable position to be in. I think. All right, you're up. I'm hotting it for somebody who was recognised on the weekend at. Uh, in WA at the Derby with the Ross Glenn medal, but he has been, I think, f- amongst the hardcore West Coast fans and the inner sanctum at West Coast, he has long been a highly valued member of the team. Brad Shepherd was fantastic in a game that clearly was one where West Coast stamped themselves as genuine premiership contenders, if not moving into near-favouritism he stamped himself as the sure hand in that back line. He's probably, you know, Shannon Hearn rightfully gets a lot of credit because he's often the conduit out of the back line, but G. Brad Shepherd is a very accomplished player, beautifully clean-handed player and a great decision maker. Why do you think he doesn't get much kudos? I think there's a few um, spectacular shows there. You've got the forwards, Darling and Kennedy, obviously. You've got Ryan, the flying Ryan, Rioli. The back line has McGovern and then Hearn and I think then you maybe ask what's the midfield got to offer? the exploration seems to end beyond the spectacular, but he's so effective. Mm.
0: Yeah, I know. Well he got
1: recognised on the weekend, so it's not yeah. I think I think the uh, word's out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well imagine I mean he missed the grand final, obviously, very unfortunately, but uh uh, this is what I said, finally, You know they get Shepherd back, they get Gaff back, they get Nat Nui back. Um, they stand up pretty well, I think. Uh, yeah, no, good call, like that one. All right, a hot for me next, and uh, his name is Aaron Norton. I got to see him at close quarters on Saturday night, sitting down at ground level, and uh, he covers a bit of territory too. And in fact, he took a couple of grabs right up close to me. What a fantastic! Mark of the footy, he is fantastic contestant, Mark. And they are so few and far between these days. Um, Has he got big hands or something? <laughs> I don't know. Well, he really not. catches it. Well, you know where that goes. Um, big gloves. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but what a revelation. And, I mean, you knew he was something special probably at the end of last year when he managed to come fourth and their best and fairest in his first season. Um and he's been thrown forward and uh, you know he he didn't there were a couple of games he didn't play that well and everyone said oh what are you doing getting back to defence but um he's as good a forward as they've got yeah f- terrific judgment he's a pretty reliable kick for goal so he got four against the cats in what was a a great upset win for the doggies leading the competition or equal leader in the competition for contested marks do you know who the other one is no your mate Josh Bruce no your mate.
1: Oh, the one that I get stuck into, Tom yeah, Lynch. Correct. Yeah. Um. Just, Josh Bruce made a run at it today. Yeah. yeah no, he was
0: he, he was good, Bruce. Um, and he's kicked twenty-two goals too, Norton. So uh, he, he's fantastic player and a, a great pickup for the doggies. And um, kudos to him. Kudos to them for uh, taking a calculated gamble and playing him up forward, and it's it certainly works. So
1: well played. Good uh, segue because calculated gamble is at the heart of my not-hot. I I know we like to move around the country for our hots and nots, but this time I'm staying in WA. And I think most people were very surprised at the beginning of the week or even at the immediately ending at the end of last week's game when word was out the Fremantle were going to rush Aaron Sanderlands back. Now, this is mm. a player that's barely played in two years. Mm. And I just don't think it sent a good message to the side. Given that Rory Lobb was available, they dropped Darcy. Okay, if he's not up to scratch, play lob. But it seemed like a panicked, desperate decision for a team that was seven and seven. And panic stations, I don't think, is where they were at. But he was clearly he should not have played. You know, AFL football has a demand on fitness and on spread. That knew he was jumping all over him. Well, that knew he'll do that to everybody. But beyond that, what use was Aaron Sanderland's going to be?
0: So at what point do you play him then is he obvious oh, when question? When you play him in
1: the waffle, <clears throat> yeah. get a couple of games into him and then and then see whether nearly two years off for a, a, somebody who's big and over 30 has rendered him AFL unsuitable or not.
0: Do you reckon he should have retired or they should have uh, retained him on the list?
1: I think they probably should have moved on.
0: Yeah, oh, it's sort of having a bob each way, isn't it? Um, and, uh, yeah, quite symbolic. Nick, well, Nick Nat's not young, is he, obviously, but a uh, bit of symbolism there, that, you know, the powerful, uh, athletic, strong Nat Nui against the sort of more old, dinosauric type of Ruckman. And, uh, yeah, I think it told a fairly sizable tale. You no, know,
1: I've always I've always drawn parallels between Sanderland's and Frankenstein's monster. And, Which is a bit cruel. Oh, too. T- um, you know, it was just because he was so big. Oh, so the loud's angry. And this seems like one sequel too many. Yeah, yeah. Frankenstein's Bride meets. Is that like um, Godzilla?
0: Is that like uh, Rocky Seven when he fought a uh, a cyborg?
1: Yeah. Well. That modernizes it, it, but there were plenty of. In the end, Frank, Frankenstein sequels got to that level of stupidity.
0: Wasn't there the suggestion in one of the last Rocky movies that you know one of his opponents had you know a sort of part robot? I you know how many, I never I've, really I've I've, I've, I've only, only watched, Rocky I've only I've watched seen? none none I've watched the, I've watched the original, but a long time after, and I still don't know how one best picture ahead of all the presidents Men in yeah. nineteen seventy six.
1: Yes, yeah, Stallone on the bill, never got me into the movies to be honest. <laughs> I
0: liked him in Woody Allen's bananas as the thug on the train. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, Alright, uh, last one for me. I'm leaving the knot till last yep. and I speak through bitter personal experience uh, being in my reserve seat at the MCG for the Essendon-Sydney game and as I was in my reserve seat for the previous week's game and uh, I am sitting in my seats uh, a bit more often these days and I've heard people complaining for a long time about the incessant noise coming over the PA when the game's not on. And, you know, I, I can sort of... You can sort of hear it in the press area, but you tune out a bit. But when you're just sitting there spectating, you're not doing work or whatever at half time. I'm just sitting there trying to have a conversation with my sister and we're screaming at each other. And it's not just the volume of it, it's the absolute diabolical nature of it. It's it's just someone dribbling, just a, well it was a great half for S and no, Becky no. No, I don't think it was Shebexter. A um, great half for Essendon. The Bombers have really uh, got to um, uh, get, make uh, the most of their ball. And Sydney have got to improve. And uh, here's a little five-year-old kid. Uh, who's your favourite player? Oh, I like Darcy Parish. It's the
1: Essendon in-house stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's their home games. Yeah. But
0: every club does it. Yeah, of you course. Know? And, it's, it's, uh, and then there's the competition where you know the person sprints around the boundary line against Either the animated figure. Oh, I on thought the it was just or... Richmond and
1: the Jeep. <laughs> no, no, they all do. Old it. clubs do it. They
0: too. all do it, and uh, then kiss cam. And actually, at Marvel Stadium last night, I noticed now, apart from kiss cam, they've got oblivious cam.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. That's quite funny when somebody doesn't know uh, they're on.
0: Uh, yeah, but well, what, what's the uh, what's the subliminal message there? We all should be have our attention glued to the bloody big screen, and just crap. Just and it's always a young. A young, sort of overly enthusiastic guy and a young, particularly ditzy girl. Let's do it for the Bombers! <laughs> yeah. Let's hit for the Bombers! And it's just, it never ends. From the moment the siren ends the second quarter to the moment the play starts again. It's just, it, oh, it drives me insane.
1: And there is one I'd like to add to it Yeah. as part of it. When did this become part of football and stop it? I don't want a countdown to the first bounce. Oh, yeah. Ten. Nine. yeah, yeah. Really?
0: Yeah. Except if they're playing Kashmir, which they I've seen them do before a couple of big games. But no, no, you're right. We we don't need it. I mean, it's just reflective of today's society, I suppose. But uh, just another thing that can make going Why to the footy those days a society. Tr- oh, because it's everyone something else you hate. Everyone has short attention spans, and no one, you know, the idea of actually having a quiet, half-intelligent conversation with the person sitting next to you rather than just, you know, staring at your phone.
1: You, you know the best take I've had on this? What? It was a comedian who said, you know, now when I turn on sports on TV, just they on the screen, on top of the sports, it'll say, buy at McDonald's, just and it'll leave it there for three minutes. Yeah. And he goes, you know, that's subliminal message, messaging for the modern generation. Because we, if you've got ADD, yeah. that's subliminal. Yeah. That it's actually so in your face. Yeah.
0: Well, it's uh, slogans. I mean, it worked for Tony Abbott in, a, in an election a few years back. And it works for me because you just mentioned McDonald's. And the first thing I thought of was hotter, juicier, tastier.
1: At Andrews Hamburgers.
0: Of course. 144 Bridport Street,
1: uh, Albert Park. Do you know why I mentioned McDonald's? Why? Are you done with you or not? Yep. Because my hot is Tom McDonald. Ah, very good, very good. Okay, far away. And in hamburger terms, he's had one with the lot this week. He announced on the weekend that he's and his partner are expecting a baby girl, I believe. So congratulations.
0: Congratulations, Tom.
1: And his contribution today with half a dozen was central to Melbourne's uh, scrape of a win. But for a player that struggled so much this year, he's found some form in the you know, in the last couple of weeks. And then he's, unfortunately, might be facing a season-ending knee injury. Yeah, it looked quite innocuous, really. Yeah, it it is innocuous. He said after the game that it was not too painful and they were pretty sure that he'd avoided the big one. Mm. But meniscus tear or something laterally damaged means that it could be anything from two or three weeks to the season. They have just had the season from hell, haven't they, (laughs) the demons? Everything
0: that could go wrong has gone wrong. Remember back in the... uh, well, it's 20 years or so ago now, but when Neil Barn was coached, they'd have one great season and then the next one would be a shocker. So they were, you know, really good in, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. They went through that for about seven years. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, let's, uh, actually, by now, Melbourne fans would be hoping that it is repeating, wouldn't they? Because this year's gone anyway and that means next Next year's year's going to be be good. good. Yep. All right. Uh, Is that it? That is it. That's it. Yeah, that seems rather succinct. Yeah, well, rather succinct for that segment. All right. They are the highs and lows. And uh, now, finally, just before we start the rant off, um, did you have a look at some of the feedback to your uh, yeah, rap? Not good. <laughs> Well, I liked it. I liked the idea. It was. It was. You a, try? You just try things. For yeah, fun. no. It was a. It was a certainly uh, an intensive production process that yeah. was required, which uh, didn't particularly please the producer. <laughs> um, you gotta but, put yourself out there. Yeah, like no, you. no. I admire you for doing that, but uh, yeah, no. The response sort of wasn't
1: overwhelmingly positive. No. Anyway, uh, so uh, no, I, I didn't. You know what? What. I didn't do it for the response. What'd you do it for? I say that because the response was bad. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I did it for the response. Well, back to a more orthodox, yeah, rant an orthodox one
0: this week. Let's get into it on footyology. The rant of. Now, also last week you went last, yes. um, so I'm going last this week. Well, that means I'm going to go first. It does. Uh, generally speaking, I'm going to count you in now.
1: Uh, three, two, one, rant. Now, I don't know whether you've been watching the tennis, Rowan, but Wimbledon has been set alight this year by a 15-year-old by the name of Coco Goff. She's a slip of a thing. She's already taken Venus Williams to the cleaners and beat this giant tattooed monster called Herzog in three magnificent sets. Now, the little thing, the girl, honestly is too young and probably too small to be a ball girl at Wimbledon. But she's talented and brilliant. And it made me pine for the days when we had talented, brilliant young footballers making their debut at a very similar age in the then VFL. Of course, current rules means that we can't see 15-year-olds. But I think we are missing something and missing a great fun part of the game. I mean... Let's be honest, 15 years and 305 days of age was a young man-child by the name of Tim Watson when he made his debut for Essendon in 1977. That was 42 years ago, Rowan. Yes. And we've had 42 years for our children and their children to be eating steroid-pumped chickens. (laughs) Have you seen kids nowadays? 15-year-olds look like they've been shaving for three years. I recently ran into a 13-year-old who was six foot three. I said, you're not 13. He said, shut up or I'll put you (laughs) in. The fact is that we could be having 14, 15-year-olds making their debut. And if that is the case and they get on with the rest of life, we could have father-son not only at clubs, for selection at the draft, we could have them in the back line playing together. The fact is it's an opportunity being missed. By 18 or 19, some of these players are already developing grey in their hipster beards. No, I say let them start young. Take Coco as your example and go-go with the babies. Ah, Very good. Yeah, I like it. I was at Tim
0: Watson's first game. I still remember it very fondly.
1: I was at Wanganin's first game. How old was he? Young. Not super young, but young. For
0: Essendon or for...? Port Adelaide. For oh, okay.
1: I'm sure Justin Murphy kicked goals for you that day. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, was well, well, it I, against Carlton? <clears throat> I, well, Wangadine
0: would have played his first game in 91. I'm going
1: to check. I felt that I was at that game.
0: All right. Well, Watson, uh, the Watson debut was against Richmond at VFL Park, and it was a draw. And, uh, yeah, I was well, I was 12, he was 15. But uh, don't
1: you think it's exciting when a, a baby... Oh, absolutely. There Rod Owen's debut.
0: Well, Collingwood, uh, Collingwood used to do it, and they used to do it with players in finals. I remember they played uh, Stephen Clifford as a yep. 16-year-old. Of course, the most famous debut of all, um, not talking VFL, AFL, but Ronnie James, playing for Williamstown 14. in the 85 VFA Grand Final, 14 years old. I covered that game for yeah, the amazing. Sun News Pictorial. Sad, sad story, of Sad course. story, of course. He was killed in a water, water skiing, skiing accident in I, 1990.
1: Just on debuts, as I said, Rod Owen. Now, he made his debut. 17? He was 15. 15? But it was an amazing thing because it was round one against North Melbourne at Arden Street. you sure he was 15? Yeah. Okay. Or 16 at the I very so. oldest. I reckon 16. 16 at the oldest. Yeah. Maybe 16. But... He made his debut amid, amid much fanfare, and there was this big buzz because St Kilda were going to play this youngster on debut. Do you know who made his debut in the reserves that day? What year was it? 83,
0: 82. Tony Lockett? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, what about 82? Cause yeah, 82. So
1: the buzz was, that, you know, amongst St Kilda fans, because Tony, Tony Lockett had already shown something in pre-season, but yeah. Lockett was going to make his debut. It was a bit of a shock when it was Rocket.
0: Rocket, Rod Owen. How many games did he end up playing? He
1: had a little injury. He played some good games. I reckon about 80. Yeah. Played one for Brisbane.
0: All right. I'm ready to go. All right. Well,
1: (laughs) uh, is it an angry one?
0: Uh, No, it's sarcastic, but inherent in the sarcasm. And if this was Twitter, I would be explaining this now because if you don't explain sarcasm, half of people invariably think you're serious. Uh, so I'm glad I've explained this before I launch into it, but uh, count me in. So
1: Marky says to Naki Roko, give us your sake on one 2 three. I'm pissed off
0: with everyone complaining about the state of the game, Fanny. Did you see some of the footy over the weekend? It's never been better. Take Friday night between Hawthorne and Collingwood. Ten goals in three quarters. Fumbles, turnovers, shots missed from everywhere. But boy, when it opened up, weren't those last ten minutes exciting? I sat in the stands on Saturday afternoon at the MCG and got to see two teams playing chess against each other in perfect conditions. So the Bombers couldn't find a key forward and the Swans couldn't hit the side of a barn from 10 metres out. But it was a beautiful afternoon and perfect conditions for the cavalcade of promotions, ads, stunts and an blather coming over the PA, which were pretty exciting in contrast. Then how about the Dogs and Cats on Saturday night? Six goals to five at three-quarter time and a world record for out-of-bounds on the full. And speaking of world records, finally, how about Fremantle's two goals, 19 against West Coast? We've seen some of the greatest behinds in the history of the game in 2019. And no, I'm not talking about the AFLW season. The low scores... The treacle-like ball movement? Well, a minor inconvenience. We all know this game has become all about defence, and now, not only when you don't have the ball either. On 3AW pre-game on Saturday Night finally, we heard Cats assistant coach Matthew Scarlett talk about defending with the ball. How holding possession not only gave a team a chance to catch its breath, but deny the other team the chance to score. Yes, you heard correctly. It's genius, and the possibilities are endless. I reckon we're probably not far off coaches countering all this defending with the ball by drilling their players to attack without the ball. Think that's far-fetched? Well, if a team which isn't in possession starts hearing towards goals without the footy, this defence above all mantra is going to have the team in possession, not seeing a queue of free teammates near goal ready to get on the end of a pass, but the danger of free opponents who might take possession up the other end if there's a slip-up. Of course, the team attacking without the ball will have to turn back towards defence if it does win possession from an inevitable turnover because actually scoring would mean giving up the ball and having to go back to a fifty five. 50 50 contest at the centre bounce and anyway even if we're not scoring they're not scoring so there's still some sort of chance when we get down to the last five minutes and coaches start thinking about actually winning a game instead of saving it. Finally I call it reverse football and it's evidence of just how smart AFL coaching and tactics are these days. There's only one danger of course and that's reverse viewing where even people who have loved the game all their lives say, I'd rather watch a replay of the Logie ceremony on an endless loop than this boring crap, and you can stick today's game up your ass. <laughs> That's fairly strong at the end. Very strong indeed. Don't you think it's a genius theory, though? Yeah, I mean, have yeah. you ever heard, okay, now I'm being serious, we interviewed Matthew Scarlett, and this was dead serious, and we were all looking at each other going, okay, so you get the ball and you defend with the ball to deny the other side the ball?
1: Well, it's... What about scoring? When did scoring cease to become an objective of the game? I mean, I told you, I said the problem is that AFL coaches are so, and their assistants, are so desperate to be in control of the, the game that they would rather the the opposition had the ball than the ball be in dispute. You see, when they've got the ball, they control it. When they don't have the ball, they control where their players stand. The only time they can't impose themselves on the game or say that he's doing the right thing or the wrong thing is when it's in the clear.
0: Well, maybe that's why everyone's kicking points because when they kick a point, they know they can set up their defensive wall for the kick-in.
1: It is frustrating.
0: Well, this is how ridiculous, and I know that's sarcastic, but uh, mark my words, my friends, we're not far off that sort of stuff happening.
1: Can I just clear up a... I knew, of,
0: I knew you spent my whole rant no, going on AFL
1: tables looking for Rod
0: Owen's first game. Oh, Gavin, Gavin Wanganine.
1: Okay. okay. No, both. Gavin Wanganine's first game was against Richmond in 1991, so I didn't see him until a few weeks later.
0: Oh, yeah, it was at the MCG, and Essendon won by a kick, and Bomber-Thompson kicked the winning goal. What was the margin in the game? Don't know. Uh, didn't you look it up? Yeah. I
1: was looking just at oh, the okay. opponent. Uh, Rod Owen... 83, made his debut. Lockett also made his debut in 83. Yeah. And Owen was 16 years and 54 days.
0: (laughs) What was was Piger? He was a bit older. Yeah,
1: he would have been 18. So with Owen, he played 63 games for, no, 65 games for St. Kilda. Mm -hmm. But he played five games for Brisbane, and I completely forgot he played for a team in between.
0: He did? Yeah. Uh,
1: I completely forgot, and I normally am very good. That is my strong point.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, I'd like to think I'm okay with that. How? don't tell me. Uh, Melbourne?
1: Yeah, well
0: done, Roko. <laughs> good boy. Yeah, just sort very of good. flashed very good. into my head. So what year did he play with Melbourne? 86?
1: No, no, uh, 91. Oh, or... oh, that light. Yeah, okay. he's had quite a few injuries.
0: All right, uh, I think that just about... Takes us out for this edition of the Footyology podcast. Of course, competition
1: reminder. I'm glad I mentioned Brisbane Bears because they certainly are in the firing line. We just are after your take on the worst jumpers of all time. With some visual evidence, visual evidence is a great aid. Of course, the original
0: Brisbane Bears jumper was designed by a uh, Herald Sun artist and cartoonist, Robert Fidgen, who was a mate of Paul Cronin's. Uh, I believe, so um, yes, interesting jumper that one, I think there's been worse which is some achievement, but uh, send them in to info at footyology dot com dot au, and uh, you can win a lovely prize pack which consists of an Andrew's Hamburgers t-shirt to your size an Andrew's Hamburgers cap I think one size fits all and a lovely 100% organic cotton argon Gym Towel, and I've been correct on this, not Sports Towels, Gym Towels. But they go for something like 35 40 bucks. 40 mm, Top quality. And we have a big, big prize coming up at the end of the year, courtesy of Argon, who we're very pleased to have on board as a new sponsor of the Footyology Podcast. Keep spreading the gospel, everyone. Uh, we will see you back here on Thursday morning for the Round 17 Preview Edition and we're going to leave you with, uh, given the nature of the rant, Finny talking about, uh, let's go back to super, super young football debutantes. Um, can you guess where I'm going with this? Uh, something young. Angus Young? No, no. We've had a lot of... ACDC. We well, have had a lot of Akadaka.
1: I know. You know what would be a good choice? What? Is the song played at every school, year 12, like the final dinner, the breakup up. Dance, or the breakup dinner, or a school reunion. Oh, enter Sandman. <laughs> no, yeah. Oh no, they play That's that. That's at your gym. school. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you uh, get if you get any if you get any video or now CD yeah for, or, or download from the school yeah to show the I evolution think, of the school. I think this will I've be the it. backing track. I think I've got it. Is it Forever Young? Yeah, yeah.
0: But not the original by Alphaville. We're going with the cover version by Youth Group. See you on Thursday.